Welcome to the Reform Rookie Podcast. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so? Worthy vicar, do we find anything here of relics? By faith man lives and is made righteous, not by what he does for himself. Be it adoration of relics, singing of masses, pilgrimages to Rome, purchase of pardon for his sins, but by faith in what God has done for him already through his son. Dr. Martin, if you leave the Christian to live only by faith, if you sweep away all good works, all these glorious things you dismiss as mere crutches, what will you put in their place? Christ. Man only needs Jesus Christ. Well, good evening, guys. Thanks for coming again. I appreciate it. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about three different things. Evil, suffering, and violence. Now, I need you to bear with me because that's we could do weeks and weeks on just one of those topics. So I got a lot of information that I'm going to give you tonight. Uh, I'll try to you know, stop along the way, offer questions up and that kind of stuff. But it's going to be a lot of stuff, because in order to cover those three type of topics, you need some time. But before we get into that, I want to tell you a story about two brothers. Um, they were known throughout the town as dishonest, disingenuous men. They were cheaters, liars, con men. They stole money from people. They were in a business locally in the town. And everybody hated these guys. And the worst part of it all was they were churchgoers. They would go to church regularly every week. Well, one day, one of the brothers mysteriously dies. So the other brother goes to the pastor and says, listen, my brother died. I need you to do the funeral. So the pastor's like, I'm not doing this funeral. The guy says, listen, I'm going to give you a tremendous sum of money. Please do this funeral. Now, the church was in disrepair. They needed the money. So the pastor agreed to it. And the man made one other offer to him. He says, listen, if you can somehow or another work into the eulogy that my brother was a saint... I'll pay you double. So the pastor says, look, I'll do what I can. So a week later, all the town heard what was going to happen. The pastor was going to eulogize this one man who was a rotten guy. So everybody's packed into the church. The pastor begins the traditional prayers. He's going through the rites. He's going through the whole thing. He begins to eulogize. And as he gets to the end of the eulogy, he says, listen, as for the deceased, he was a liar. He was a cheat. He was a con man. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) So tonight we're going to talk about the problem of evil, right? So let me ask you something. Do you all think it's a problem? You think it's a problem? Why do you call it a problem? There's the interactive portion. It's there every day, all the time. Say again? Takes us away from God. God. Okay, we're going to get into that. That's important. What else? Satan at his best. Satan at his best. Okay, so all evil is from Satan? Yeah. Okay. All right, well, we're going to tackle some of those things. The way you ask. (laughs) We'll we'll get into it. Listen, evil is is a a really good topic to get into theologically, okay? And hopefully we're going to hit on some things. But tonight, the question 
that Christians have to grapple with is evil. Why? Because it's universal. It hits every single one of us. There's no one who escapes some amount of evil in their lives. Right? It could hit our relatives. All kinds of things happen that are evil. But here's the thing I want you to realize. The evil that exists in the Christian worldview also exists in an atheistic worldview. So they also have to account for evil. And what is their solution to the problem? So evil isn't just a problem for Christians. Evil is a problem for atheists too, no? How are they going to account for it? So the first thing we need to know is what is evil? How do we define it? I define evil as a deviation from the good. In other words, if I told you all to imagine a straight line, and then I showed you a picture of a straight line, how many people would just see a line across the page in your mind? Now, if I told you, imagine a crooked line in your mind, and then I pulled up a piece of paper and I showed you a crooked line, would it match exactly what I had on the paper? Probably not. You know why? There's millions and millions and millions of ways to be crooked. There's only one way to be straight. So God is the straight line by which we measure everything off of, all moral behavior. And the reason I use that word crooked is because that's where we get the word crooks, because <laughs> they're crooked, right? So for the Christian, the explanation of evil considers four things inherent to its own worldview. God, love, eternity, and the cross. Those are four features or aspects of a Christian worldview that are going to help us explain evil. God, love, eternity, and the cross. So let's start with God. For the Christian, God provides the objective standard of morality that we live by. He's the necessary precondition for our existence. When I say that, I mean that without God, there's going to be no standard by which we can measure everything outside of ourselves. If the standard exists inside ourselves, and your standard is different than mine, well, then nothing is truly evil. It's just a matter of preference. You like Rocky Road, I like Butter Pecan. But if the standard is outside of us, and we're beholden to it, that's objective morality. And without God, you cannot have an objective standard of morality. He's the perfect, unchanging, objective lawgiver. All of our morals are derived from his being. He's our anchor so to speak. So first, the question, of problem, the, the question of the problem of evil doesn't disprove or dislodge God. In fact, you don't ask that question because you don't know what evil is. You ask that question because you do know what evil is, which means there's an embedded moral law within you that wouldn't exist apart from a moral lawgiver. Okay? How would you get an internal moral law written on your heart if there was no outside God writing that on your heart, where would that come from? So the question of evil is asked in light of God's existence, not outside of it. So it fits our worldview. In fact, the, the question of evil wouldn't make sense in a world without God because he's the, o- he's the only straight line we'll ever encounter in life. He's perfect. Next, God demonstrates his nature to us in the ultimate ethic known as love right? Love is God's nature. The scriptures say God is love, and that's his purpose, and in turn, it becomes ours. Love is the supreme ethic in life. There's nothing higher. It reflects the nature of God. What what does all the law hang on? What are the two commandments? 
Love God, love neighbor. So love is supreme. That's what the Lord summed up in. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But the problem is, we're born with original sin and cannot love the way God loves. He loves perfectly. We love imperfectly. We fell in Adam, and we need to be rescued. Our hearts are fallen and bent away from God. We have a choice to love, but it flows from a selfish, sin-stained heart that manifests itself in self-love, right? We all come out of the womb selfish. Ask anyone with little kids. They'll tell you just how selfish they are, right? I remember my son, I used to love building blocks with him. My job was to build it up. His job was what? Tear it down. They love to destroy things, right? It's, he's, he's just selfish like that. So we have a choice to love, but that choice is difficult because our hearts are stained. So the greatest ethic God gives us is love, but that comes with the real possibility of disobeying that command, the choice not to love. So we can be loving or we can be unloving. And when we choose not to love, we deviate from that perfect standard. We deviate from what we ought to do. And what's that result called? Evil. We, we, we deviate from God's perfect standard. And we experience evil due to the choice of man to deviate from the good. So every choice that man makes away from God's moral law is an evil choice. Man's love of self is to the detriment of God and neighbor. When you have self in the center of your world, everything's going to revolve around that. It's only until you, your eyes are open and you have God in the center of your world that things start to make sense, right? Okay. Now, notice when I say that there's something we ought to do, it implies a purpose. There would be no ought or should for any of us if there wasn't actual purpose in the world. In other words... If this universe was just a product of a blind, random expansion or explosion of the universe, and we're just all molecules in motion clanging together without any purpose or order, how could there be a should do? You should do this. You should do that. Without purpose and order given to the universe, there is no should do. Right? We're just molecules in motion. There's no purpose behind the universe or in front of it. Now, it's really important that we keep in mind that the question of evil is always asked by a person about a person. In other words, if a piece of metal fell out of the sky and it hit a bird, a bug, a bonsai tree, or a bedrock, nobody would be like, oh my goodness, did you hear what happened? A piece of metal fell out of the sky and it hit a rock. However, if that same piece of metal fell out of the sky and hit a human being. Tragic. Did you hear about what happened? All of a sudden, there's a different sense about what happened. Okay? So the, the intrinsic value of human beings comes into play. The intrinsic value of people that we're concerned with, so the question of evil actually points to something more valuable and more important than itself, the person. Things wouldn't be evil if we weren't so valuable. But how can a person be of intrinsic worth and value if the cause of that person is time plus chance acting on matter? And people are no different than a bug, a bird, a bonsai tree, or bedrock, absent of an immaterial soul. See, without God creating us, giving us purpose, creating us in his image, we have no 
real value. In a worldview without God, just matter, including you and I, would just be the result of a random accident, just like elements on a periodic table. And although we value people, the value of human beings cannot be determined by another human being. That might sound appealing, but that has disastrous effects and consequences we've seen in the past. Look what happened in Nazi Germany when most of Nazi Germany and Hitler devalued Jewish people. One set of humans determined the value of another set of humans. And because they were deemed less valuable, well, we can kill them. We can exterminate them. That's what happens when you don't have God in the picture. But if every human being on the planet is created in the image of God, everyone has infinite worth and value, inherent worth and value, I should say. Okay? But the only way a person can be of intrinsic worth and value is if they are the creation of someone else, someone greater that gives them that intrinsic worth and value, which is God. Okay? Now, when you understand that you're the creation of God made in his image and not by chance, then you can begin to understand your value and your worth, and the question of evil begins to make sense. Evil wouldn't be such a problem if we weren't so valuable. Now, if someone takes someone else's life, something tragic and evil has happened because they can't restore that life. Once that person is, is killed or murdered, you can't bring them back. But if God allows that to happen, the God who created life can now restore that life. And now the component of eternity comes into view. Okay? God love eternity. So God provides us the objective standard for morality. He gives us what that standard is in love. And now we have eternity, the opportunity of an afterlife. Eternity offers the prospect of restoration and an explanation for what happened and why it happened. It offers a future hope in an otherwise hopeless situation. Think about it. In eternity, God can restore that life. He can right everything that was wrong. He can deal with the evildoer and actually bring about justice for the person who committed the evil. Justice can be served in a worldview that includes eternity, but not on an atheistic worldview. Whether you're Mother Teresa or Hitler, you both go to the same place, nowhere. Evil ultimately is never dealt with on an atheistic worldview because there is no afterlife. If I get away with a bunch of evil things in this world and then I die, what happens to me? Nothing. I go into the ground, according to them, right? Not on a worldview with God. On a worldview with God, there will be justice. Question? Okay. I would I would say the the very same thing. Say okay, if let's say an agnostic says God might exist, he might not exist. So let's look at both in a worldview with God, which is what I'm going through now. I'm painting a picture of a worldview that includes God and contrasting it with a worldview that doesn't include God. So let's look at them both. In a worldview with God, a, a Hitler will get justice on the other side. How about, how about in a worldview without God? No. He takes a dirt nap just like everyone. He becomes fertilizer. No different than any, anyone or anything else. So true justice is never served. And there's no... Evil is not culpable because there's no ultimate consequence for it. Who cares if it's evil? If I get away with it, 
No one's gonna, there's no consequence for it, right? Think about how we train up our kids. If we tell our kids to do something and there's no consequence for not doing it, for doing it, and they continue to do it and we don't give them a consequence, what do you think they're gonna do? They're gonna continue to do it. There's no consequence, who cares? Dad said he's gonna swap me or punish me or whatever, take away my, and he doesn't do it. So in their mind, if there's no consequence, why not keep, if I like doing something and there's no consequence, who cares? But in a worldview with God, there is a consequence. And we're, we're called to train up our kids the same way, with consequences, so that they understand that in life you have rewards and consequences. So if, if you're not culpable as a human being for what you do, and there's no ultimate consequence for it, that's not a good thing. Okay? So you see up to this point how evil can fit in a theistic worldview? You have a question? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, that, that, that's a great question. Let's get to the end of that, and just at the end, raise your hand, because maybe some of what I'm going to finish up with is going to help that, that question, okay? So God gives us purpose and value, and he allows us to, a choice to reflect his nature um, to everyone else. And eternity offers us the prospect of hope or justice or restoration. Now, behind those three components, God, love, and eternity, the cross stands behind those, and then it comes into view. If evil took place and God sat by, just watching, waiting for something to happen, you might say, he's not loving. If evil took place and God did nothing about it, you might say he wasn't able or powerful enough to handle it. But the greatest expression of love and humility is God becoming a man and entering into the world he created to suffer with and alongside the very people who brought evil into the world. Okay? He loves humanity enough to take on himself the consequence for their bad choices. He ultimately deals with the evil that we created. And he does that at the cross. Because God's love includes sacrifice. Okay, so the cross is very important. God saving sinners for his own glory... God is saving sinners for his own glory. And at the same time, he punishes guilty sinners for their sin, and that's also for his glory. Did it ever dawn on you that the identifying symbol of Christianity is an instrument of human suffering? A cross? Who would choose that? <laughs> if I had an opportunity to pick a bunch of gods, am I going to pick the God who says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me? No, <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm going to pick a guy who's a little bit more compassionate and wants me to be happy. Right? So you look at the, of what the cross symbolizes. It symbolizes God leaving heaven, sending his own son into the world to suffer with us and for us. Not because of the evil he brought into the world, but because of the evil we brought into the world. Suffering doesn't just fall on us. It falls on our creator also. He doesn't just view suffering from a distance and watch it happen. He actually enters into it and suffers with us and for us. 
And then his resurrection from the dead, which is what we went over two weeks ago, proves that there's an eternity and an afterlife. There, there's hope here. Oz Guinness, who's a, a, a Christian writer and an apologist, he says, Christianity is the only religion whose God bears the scars of evil. No other God comes into the world to punch evil in the face. Our God doesn't retreat from evil. He faces it head on and deals with it to defeat it and give us hope. No other God does that. When you look at the cross, you cannot say God didn't care. You can't say he was indifferent or unloving. More importantly, he demonstrates that suffering can result in something good, something very good for all eternity. Was it evil for uh, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Jews and the Gentiles to put Jesus on the cross? Please. <laughs> was it evil? Wake up. <laughs> was that evil? Yes. What came out of that? The greatest good humanity could ever know, the salvation of his people. So God can take the evil actions of man and intend them for something good. So just because we see evil happening in the world, we also know that God is wise and he permits or actually causes those things to happen for a greater good. It was God who put Jesus on the cross. The, the men meant it for evil. He intended it for good. So the intent behind every action that God has in this world is for good, whereas for the most part, the intent of man is evil. Okay? That is real love. That is a love that demonstrates great costs. So our God loves us. He suffers with us and for us. And in doing so, he saves us. Only in a theistic worldview does evil make sense. And only in a Christian worldview is evil ever dealt with. The problem of evil becomes explainable in a Christian worldview. Not so for atheists. In fact, the true strength of Christianity is its explanatory power. We can explain everything in this world and how it all reflects the God of our creation. In fact, evil is our ace in the hole. Because we're the only ones who have an explanation for it, and we're the only ones with a God who ultimately defeats it. So, how does the problem of evil fare from an atheistic frame of reference? Because, like I said earlier, evil exists in, this, in their world also, right? They complain about evil, but what are you going to do about it? What's your solution? So, again, I like to do a side-by-side -side tactic. Let's look at it from, a, uh, from an atheistic world, worldview. First... There's the philosophical problem of how do we define evil? And this is kind of like what you were talking about. Well, the, the, the Nazis think killing Jews is good. We think it's bad. How do we resolve that problem? Vote? <laughs> I think they're evil. And then, World War II. World War II, thank you. <laughs> is, is it a popularity contest? N no. If, that, if we could point to one thing in the world that's actually evil, then objective morality exists. Okay? Uh, a, a popular apologist that I listen to, he, he, he trots out this illustration. He says, is torturing babies for fun ever good? No. In any case. No. So the only way that can be true, objectively, is if there's an objective moral lawgiver that exists above us. Okay, that gives us that law. Even if 99% of the population said torturing babies for fun is okay, that, that wouldn't make it right. It would still be wrong. 
But you can only have objective morality in a world with God. Otherwise, it's subjective. And then we have, well, you think this is right, I think that's right. Ultimately, there is no true right or wrong. So, from an atheist point of view, first, with the absence of God, has the evil gone away? No. Have you lessened anyone's pain or given them comfort? No. In fact, you might have made it worse. Because now you've eliminated any possibility of future hope because there is no eternity. You also eliminate the possibility of any future explanation. God, why did you allow this to happen? You, you eliminate that. And fifth, you eliminate the possibility of any justice. Hitler doesn't get justice. Stalin doesn't get justice. Pol Pot doesn't get justice. Any of the serial killers, they don't get justice. They go to the same place we do, in the ground. You haven't made the problem better. In fact, you may have made it worse. Think about it. If I don't get, if there's no consequence for the evil that I commit in this world, why not just take revenge? Why not just take matters into my own hands, do what I got to do, and then go run and hide? Right? There's no ultimate consequence for evil on it from an atheistic point of view. So, when you consider evil and suffering in light of God, love, eternity, against the backdrop of the cross, the Christian worldview provides a plausible explanation for the existence of evil and the eventual punishment for it. In fact, our worldview actually predicts it. There will be a judgment. There will be an ultimate punishment for evil. And if, as an atheist, you say God doesn't exist, all you've done is just eliminate a possible answer for the problem. Maybe the only answer. So the very existence of evil and its ultimate consequence highlights the strength of the theistic worldview, not its weakness. Is that satisfying to you guys? Does that, does that put it in different perspective? Okay, did I kind of answer your question, or do you want me to go deeper into it? Okay, all right. So now, <clears throat> I told you guys to bring your Bibles. I don't know if you did. So that was evil. Now, violence. <laughs> Oh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give you the verse. I'll tell you when to turn it. Well, you can open. Okay. So, how do we explain violence? How do we explain violence in this world? Well, violence in this world is the result of the sinful heart of mankind, right? If man's heart wasn't self-centered, okay, and seeking its own good rather than the other person's good, we wouldn't have violence. So. If I see, um, I don't know, you got a nice briefcase. Somebody always, I saw somebody with a nice briefcase. Nick's got a nice briefcase. All I got to do is hit Nick in the head real hard, grab his briefcase, and go. Right? Violence, because I want what I want. So violence stems out of the sinful heart of mankind. Now, who, who knows about the first murder in the Bible? Cain killed Abel, right? That was the first murder in the Bible. At its core... Humanity is evil and commits acts of hatred. There was no reason, no justified reason for him doing that. It's because the heart set on the flesh is at enmity with God. It's hostile to it. it. Hostility is a state of ill will. It does not want to submit to God's rule. It pushes against it, right? So what was the first thing um, Cain did after he killed Abel? No. No. Yeah. 
God dealt with him because he was afraid other people were going to kill him. And then what did he do? He set out to build a city. He built a city for himself. And this is where Augustine gets the city of God and the city of man. God's building his kingdom on earth, and man is trying to build his kingdom on earth. This will translate into the Tower of Babel. This will turn, turn into Babylon. And we still have this war on earth right now. Man trying to build his own city with his own laws. Okay, I want to be autonomous. I want to rule myself. And God's saying, no, I'm going to rule you, and this is the way it's going to be. Okay, So if God is good and there's violence in the world, do you think God should get rid of all violence and evil? How many people say yes? Nobody wants evil and fun. Okay. So there's no more evil? Started from scratch, and then what happened? <laughs> right. So it, would, would anybody in here truly want God to get rid of all violence and all evil? Yes. Okay. So what time is it? It's, eight, it's about five after eight. If God was to get rid of all evil at 8.30, where would we all be? <laughs> right? Because we still all have, even though our hearts are changed, we still have evil thoughts coming out of our hearts. Okay? God allowing evil in the world is an act of mercy. <laughs> right? So, and we know from... Uh, before what I talked about with the cross, we know that there's a prospect of God bringing something good out of something evil. So if God was to get rid of all evil at 8.30, no one would be left on the planet. So it's an act of mercy that God allows us to live, and he uses our sometimes evil actions for his purpose and for his glory. God allows evil and actually includes it as part of his plan as an act of mercy. So the question could be asked in a different way. Does God have a reason or a purpose for evil or violence in the world? Say again? To bring us to him. To bring us to him, sure. Absolutely. That that's, could be one purpose. Yes, Wayne? To show his glory. To show his glory, absolutely, and his dominance over evil and the eventual justice for the person who commits it. I, 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 would, I would ask that you turn to Judges chapter 3. Judges. Judges chapter 3. Just give me a look up when you... And I think it's going to be like verses 1 and 2. Okay, I'll read it for you. Judges chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach those, to teach war to those who had not known it before. Hmm. So God actually left the enemies of Israel in the land. Why? To teach the Israelites how to fight. Why would they need to learn how to fight? Not yes, absolutely. On an individual, on an individual level, why would he have to teach them how to fight? Okay, yes. We must be fighting sin every day of our lives. The Puritan, John Owen, says this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. 
right? Yes. Yeah, I, I, actually, it's not me telling you that. It's the scriptures. Yeah, yeah but it, it, listen, Israel's a theocracy, okay? The, the, the enemies to Israel, okay, were they innocent people? Let me, let me ask you this. Is anybody innocent? Okay. So if I'm to, if God commands me to take the land and he makes it, he makes it, Evident to all the people who are uh, invading the land that it's not their land, and he tells them that, and they come in and and try to take the land. Is it okay that I war with them? Have we ever fought in a just war as Americans? Is there ever a right time to go in and take somebody by force? We live in a corrupt world, right? Yes. Think about this. If, if fighting wars was completely against what Jesus said, do you, in the book of Matthew, I think it's in chapter uh, 6, Jesus meets a soldier, right? And the soldier comes to Jesus and says, my, my, my son is sick, please heal my son. And Jesus says, okay, I'll go. He says, no, 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 I'm a man under authority. You, you know, you, I, you, don't, you say go and it goes. And Jesus looks at him and says, I've never seen such faith in, a man of it, in all of Israel than in this man. Here's a perfect opportunity for him to condemn him, saying, listen, you're a soldier. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing this. And he commends him. Right? So I don't think there's uh, as much of a contradiction. Okay? We're called to love our enemies as far as salvation goes. No, is it loving? Hold on a second. Is it loving to put a serial? Is it loving to put a serial killer behind bars? No, not at all. You would want serial killers out in public. No, I want to be behind bars. That's what I just said. Is it loving to put him behind bars? I don't. I don't, I don't associate the word loving with the action of putting anyone behind bars. Okay. Please. Okay. Well. Okay. <laughs> it's one way of looking at. I mean, I I think it's loving to put that person behind bars and keep him out of society rather than let him roam freely. That's going to no, cause more problems. It's, it's I think you're confusing justice with love. With love. It is just to put someone <coughs> behind bars. It's not a loving thing that you do. So would you, would you say uh, justice has no moral uh, value behind it? Ju- when God ex- exhibits justice, it's not loving justice? Well, everything that God God is love. You can't separate his love from anything that he does. So God punishing someone, okay, is an act of love. It's just, but it's it that's what they they're getting what they deserve. There's only three things God can give us, right? Justice, mercy, and grace. What is justice? Getting what you deserve. I teach my kids this all the time, right? What is justice? Getting what you deserve. What is mercy? Not getting what you deserve. What is grace? 
getting what you don't deserve. So anytime my kids come to me and they're fighting and they're pulling on something, oh, he took my toy or whatever it is, they said, Dad, and I say, listen, stop it. That's not fair. I said, do you want me to be fair? And then they think. I said, what is, what is fairness? Fairness is justice. You want what you deserve? No, Daddy, I want mercy. <laughs> now, justice, mercy, and grace are all loving from, 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 from God's perspective. You have been listening to the Reformed Rookie Podcast where we aim to teach Reformed theology to beginners or rookies. Be sure to look us up on the web at www.reformedrookie.com, where you will find many more learning tools and aids to help you grow in your understanding of all things Reformed. And remember, Semper Reformanda. Dr. Luther, are you prepared to retract these writings? In some, I discuss faith and good works. If I were to retract these, I should be denying accepted Christian truths. Martin Luther, you have not yet answered the question. Will you recant, or will you not? Here it is. I am bound to my beliefs by the texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen.